0: Believe Inside the ACC, it's Championship Weekend. Hello, everyone. I'm David Gascon. i joined alongside Jay Graham. Jay, I will get to football here in a quick second. But first and most importantly, how was your Thanksgiving? And did you survive the crash diet on Friday?
1: All right. So I went with the crash diet and I broke even because as soon as I got to that, t- that table on Thanksgiving, I mean, it was like my last meal ever. I was eating so much, gas man. I couldn't breathe, you know. I didn't even take a chance to stop. I I got through the prayer at the beginning, you know, but my hands was in everything. So I, I kind of – I think I embarrassed everybody when I was eating. So that's how hungry I was. So then I felt, had that sick feeling after, and it was just good enough to watch the football games, and I just laid there half-sleep. So that was my Thanksgiving. I enjoyed it. I had fun. I ate too much, but I broke even. I lost 10. That's good. That's night, good. Okay.
0: <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, the one lecture that I have at least flying from coast to coast is back in L.A. Um, I'm kind of near one of the King's Hawaiian factories. So if you're down for the King's Hawaiian rolls, man, those Ooh. are great nightcaps with ham, a little Don't bit of honey it. on it, <gasps> maybe some mash. So, like, you know, typically if the party goes on all night and it goes into the morning, like, my Thanksgiving went from Thursday into Friday morning, and I was perfectly content. Right there. Yeah. That's what I'm talking <laughs> about, good. guys. Man, you may me want
1: to do another Thanksgiving, man.
0: Come on, yeah. let's go. Hey, it's, it's good, man. It's good. But I, I, I regressed because I went not only from Thanksgiving in L.A., now I'm down in San Diego, and it's like California burritos, the carne asada, <laughs> the street tacos. Like, I'm going from, like, bloated to big fat. But, you know, whatever. It's, That's it's the hottest right, season, man. You know,
1: you'll go for a jog, man. You know, jog it off, man.
0: One, one of these days, maybe, maybe. But anyways, we got to get to ball, man. There's a lot of yeah. things going on, obviously, around college football. Championship weekend, as I mentioned, is here. Uh, we'll definitely hit on Florida State and Louisville. They'll go toe-to-toe over the weekend. But we have a lot of things that change from week 13 to where we're at now. One of them is the head coaching vacancies, or lack thereof. There's a move from Duke. There's a quarterback leaving from Duke. A quarterback leaving from Miami. So there's a lot of things to chew on. But first off with Mike Elko, we had the news a few weeks ago. We were chatting about this at a contract extension from Duke. And right. then all of a sudden he jumped ship. And now he's in Texas, so Texas A&M the Aggies. What a, what a role reversal. But this kind of hits the nail on the head of what we alluded to a few weeks back was the NIL is important for a couple different factors. And this is Exhibit A because he packed up shop. And now all of his recruits are scrambling around thinking, where do I go and what do I do?
1: I mean, it's just the way it is. You know, Texas A&M is big in the NIL business, you know? And Elko, and I was there with him, coaching with him, and I know how they feel about him. It was a perfect choice for him. You know, you think about R.C. Slocum that was there before. Defensive head coaches have done well at A&M. And he fit the mold. He fit the mold and what he thought, you know, and how he was, you know you know, Elko is a great coach. As this matter of fact, you know, he's put his gloves on, go to work, you know, and, and it fits college station. It fits South Texas. He, you know, he fits the mold for what they're and, and also who he's going to bring, you know, and I told you about, Elko. he's a phenomenal evaluator of talent. So you might have that NIL, but in order to make that NIL come to fruition, you gotta, you gotta pick the right guys. So, you know, I think that's going to be the biggest thing for him. And when, and when he was there as a defensive coordinator before with, with Jimbo, you know, they had a bunch of success and he was always able to get that t- that defense on, on key, on point. And, 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 the SEC West is about defense. You know, you got Alabama there, you got Auburn, all these guys are going to run the ball and they're going to play great defense. You know, there's explosive passing, but that league, that division, you know, in the SEC is all about defense and you got to be able to play it there. So, Great pick by them. Now comes in, now Now Duke's quarterback, you know, now he's like, hey, I might want to go with my head coach. There's an opportunity to do that with the transfer uh, transfer portal now, you know, and the changes that have happened. So, you know, he's going to be out there. It's going to be several quarterbacks. There's several really good quarterbacks out there. You know, Van Dyke down at Miami. And I get it with Van Dyke. With all the things that he's gone through there, he's stuck through it. You know, he's, he, you know, I think he has a year. Uh, Left And, you know, you look at, you know, what the quarterback um, DJ did out at Oregon State. I mean, he had one year left, got an opportunity to, um, you know, to do something. And he's all he's been through everything at Miami. So, you know, you can understand him and he'll probably be a graduate when he goes on and um, transfers. So, you know, it's just a lot of things going on. This is that time of the year. um, Transfer portal is opening up and it is, you know, it's opened up with a bang.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, DJ Uyongale was playing at St. John Bosco in Bellflower in California, goes to Clemson, doesn't pan out, has benched several times, goes to Oregon State, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, they could have been a one-loss or no-loss team, but, you know, frankly, for the Beavers, they just ran out of gas at the wrong time of the year. But more to your point with Riley Leonard, he wasn't bad this year. He just wasn't available. He played in seven games this year. 13 last season was an all ACC honorable mention, but it really is gotta be deflating for Duke. The fan base, I know it's rabid when it comes to college basketball, but it's gotta be the same when it comes to college football. And you just feel like now they're getting squeezed and now they're losing bullets out of that gun. And you have to feel bad for the program, but this is now part of the business. The only difference now I feel is that the players get to play along with this, make the money, jump ship, go somewhere else where in years past it was only the coaches and there was no accountability if someone decided to pack up shop and head out of town. Same thing's happening in Colorado right now with Deion
1: Sanders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know what? Just to go back to Duke, um, you go back and think about it. They've, they've had some great coaches there. And I, I put out a tweet probably like three weeks ago. I'm like, I had that same feeling because I'm a Duke fan. And I grew up there in Durham. And as soon as we get a great one, you know, i.e. Steve Spurrier, you know, go back-to-back uh, ACC championships, great players with Clarkson Hines and uh, Randy Cover the running backs back there. I mean, and then he's gone. He's gone to Florida. As soon as, you know, because it's always going to be looked at as basketball school. We understand that. You know, Jay Williams was, was alluding to that. He was at the Alabama game. He's like, hey, man, the fans are cheering for basketball. It's because, you know. <laughs> It's football season there, you know. So Duke is a little bit different, you know. It's it's always been seen as a basketball school, and they play great football this year, and they've had some great football players. But you know, getting you know, getting when you look at the SEC and how much money they're paying assistants and how much money they're paying in NIL and all those different things, that's what Texas A and M provided for Elko. uh, You know, kind of further his career, and um, you know that's a place he was in the SEC. So you know, you can see him going back there, but. You know, you look at Colorado and what they're doing. I mean, they've lost some steam, right? They had a, a yeah. whole lot of things going on. But, guys, he did a phenomenal job at Colorado so far. You know, I didn't think he would have as many wins at the beginning of the season as he had, you know, with Prime. So, you know, they've had, had some – it's just the way it's happened with the staff and all the offensive coordinator, you know, and um, a couple coaches are leaving now. So, you know, that's a, that's a part of things that go on, but they're recruiting well. They're going to recruit at a higher level wild, and they're going to they get, get the players.
0: It's it's crazy to think about in, in College Station, right, where you got Texas A&M, you're paying a truckload of money to have Jimbo Fisher walk away, and now you're paying a healthy amount of money to bring Elko in. So it's a lot of money, but obviously you and I don't have to worry about that. Uh, to piggyback off of Duke, though, where do they go from here? Because now you lose Elko, we provide stability for that program, and you also lose Riley Leonard, who obviously your signal call, that's the most important piece of the entire board. Does this turn into a situation almost like North Carolina where they bring in Mac Brown and you go maybe look at a, at a Brady Hoke or someone of that nature?
1: That's a good point because um, North Carolina kind of went through that and, and decided, Hey, we're going to yeah. go back to, you know, and, and try to get a coach that's kind of been to the championship level, having a, has a lot of experience and, you know, can bring a great assistant coach group together. That's the key. It, you know, the head coach can be a superstar, but you got to be able to put the right staff together. And um, Elko's done that. And, you know, those some of the coaches are still there. Um, interim coach. I was a graduate assistant coach for Trooper Taylor. I know how good of a coach he is. He's the interim uh, head coach there. Um, you know, I could see him getting an opportunity there, and he does a phenomenal job of recruiting. And, you know, but, you know, if they're going to go after a coach, they 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 either can go to route you talked about a Brady Hoke right call Jimbo you know a guy a guy like that you know call someone who has that 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 you know that star appeal that that will um, you know pique the interest of a lot of recruits because you still have Duke and it's in Durham North Carolina close to Chapel Hill Raleigh the Triangle area and there's a lot to sell there and academics are phenomenal there so you know I'm sure they're going to get the right person. Um, it's just tough because they've gone through so many years. You know, Cutcliffe was phenomenal. So you talk about going along those same um, you know, channels. You go get a coach Cutcliffe who who was able to build a program to a certain extent where you know Micah came in and, and shot it up to another level. So I could see them doing that again.
0: I, I want to dive deeper into that because the the recruiting aspect is is obviously important. It's a focal point. For national championship success, and that kind of leads us to Syracuse. Fran Brown comes in now; he's 40 years of age. He spent a couple of seasons um, on the defensive side with Georgia, but he comes in. And Syracuse's upcoming class is ranked 50th in the nation. It's the highest it's been since 2019. But from a coaching perspective, and how you've looked at it, how you've seen it, and also how you've experienced it, how has it developed and evolved throughout the years? Because it felt like in years past, maybe 15, 20 years ago, it was all regional, right? Yeah. But now you look at it more and more now is that for people that don't know, is typically like in Southern California, you have modern day high school, you have St. Mm-hmm. John Bosco, which are typically one and two, maybe out of out of IMG in Florida, but those are one and two in the nation when it comes to recruiting in in all the nation. And then you look at Jay Sarah some of the surrounding schools like orange lutheran but the trinity league in southern california is the the hot ticket yes but where else are you going if you're a syracuse if you're a duke if you're in north carolina like are you going out of your lane and coming to the west coast are you going somewhere in the midwest or down south like how do you navigate that
1: well i think the biggest thing when you talk about those three schools is you're going to go up those northeastern channels um duke has had a lot of success with that you know, you go to the Tidewater area of Virginia. You go to the D.C., you know, um, D.C. area up through Maryland. Um, you go all the way up through – you go into Philly. That's where uh, Coach Brown, who's become the head coach of Syracuse, that's their recruiting track right there. And he's been phenomenal there. He was at Temple. Um, you know, so he his coaching tree leads through there. And he's from Camden, New Jersey, which – I mean, that's that's a stone's throw, and you got to win that area. It's been a lot of great football players come out of that area, come out of Western PA, come out of New York area. You know, New York area has has, has jumped up over years, you know, um, with um, a big tackle, that, um, I forget his name, Isaiah Wilson, that came out of, uh, you know, Brooklyn, Poly Prep. You know, these schools so, and some of the parochial schools there have been big for the North Carolina Duke and, um, you know, also for Syracuse. So you know they share that and they fight that battle. And Michigan's been winning that battle in recruiting lately, right? So the, with the Michigans and the Penn States, that's where the, um, the 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 big time players come from out of that out of that area. So you know, getting a guy like Brown, who's young, who's energetic, who understands those recruiting channels and has had success there, it's all about what staff you build around it. Because obviously, he has to have a great plan in place and 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 be able to be and, and is a great coach can he put the staff together at that age right and does he have the connections um to put a great staff together because you're only as good as your staff
0: yeah i you know i can't help but think about it because back for the holidays and and seeing what happened in los angeles it's a, it's a tale of of two cities when it comes to football in southern california with usc and ucla the older yeah. coach and chip kelly i don't want to call him old but older and then Lincoln Riley, who's the younger coach, but you know Jay, they absolutely got torched in the media, and I can't help but say it. But when you throw out wads of cash to Lincoln Riley, right. and they had a pretty good season last year, but then absolutely flame out this year, right. there's absolutely no excuse. And so that poses a question to you when you look at the ACC and you look at the dynamics and coaches. And I don't want to go into mm-hmm. the ageism thing, but you have to look at at the ability to not only recruit, but also be relatable.
1: Yes.
0: Are you more inclined to go the younger route with a head coach or the older route and then have that older coach build a good coaching staff with younger guys that are relatable to these guys that are 16, 17 and 18 years old, high school to
1: college. Well, it just depends on the coach. It goes back to that. You know, you can look at a coach's resume which is not written on paper, but most people who understand college football know the the, the groups they, they travel in, the coaching staffs they've been a part of. So if you're looking at an older coach, you're going to look at his history, right? You're going to look at his mm-hmm. last five years and, and how he's done in recruiting. And there's something big about that too, because you have that consistency. It depends on what you need in your program. Say you uh, had a, a younger coach before that had brought in some good recruits, but could not develop them the way that you needed them to develop. It was a culture problem. Or whatever it may be, you may bring in an older coach that can put that together, right? And and sometimes they can make they can get more out of that program right now in the current current state. That's kind of what North Carolina and Mac Brown, you know, his ability to do things and the coaching staff that he's he's put together, experienced, uh, relatable to kids, right? And you have relatable in a lot of different ways, you know. That's right. And, but he also has has that underneath group, right, of younger coaches, um, quality cro- control guys. The recruiting uh, front offices now have changed so much. They're their own department, you know, and you go to Alabamas and all the different places, they got their own department that's really focusing on these young men. So that's the hardest part is recruiting them once you have them. That's the biggest difference in the NIL and transfer uh, portal now is you're going to recruit that kid for four years. Because if he becomes a great player, he may just up and leave. He may just up and say, hey, I'm putting my name in a transfer por- portal if you don't give him that same attention you gave him, you know, for two years before recruiting him. So it's, it's six years total. You know, you always yeah. recruiting them, But, you know, some guys have that anyway. They are always going to have that connection and close relationship with their players. So, you know, it, it may not be that much difference, different for them. But that's a good point you bring up. Is it the younger coach? Is it the older coach? It depends on the area. It depends on the player you're recruiting. I think there's five stars in both, but both of them have to be able to win, and I think it comes down to Jimmy's and Joe's, but you got those X's and O's that you got to go in there and go formulate a game plan. It just depends on where your program is at the time.
0: Yeah, speaking of which, you you brought up Mack Brown, and I thought they were on their way. I really did North Carolina this year. I thought they were going to take another step, and I, I hate saying this, but you look at quarterbacks across the country, especially in the Heisman Trophy race, and I, I know Jordan Travis tapped out because of his injury. It was a horrific injury, but right. took him out of running, right? But you look at Bonix, you look at Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, but then Drake May. Right. And I feel like Drake May and Caleb Williams had that ascent throughout the year and then a drastic fall from grace. And, yes. I mean, hats off to NC State. NC State's defense, you talked about this like a month ago, but the defense has been lights out. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, Brennan Armstrong hasn't been the guy consistently for the Wolfpack, but Drake may has. And he hasn't put up the numbers I thought he would, or at least the ability to carry North Carolina. And I really feel like, I feel like the conversation with him come combine time and come the interview process is going to be an interesting one with not only him, but with Caleb Williams, because the reality is with the amount of praise that he was given, the amount of weapons he's had, not only on the outside, but in the backfield, he should have been putting up gaudy numbers. And I don't think he did.
1: Right. But but you look at this. When you talk about the NFL, it's a different game than college. You know, the hashes are different. They play in the middle of the field and also yeah. with the players. It just depends on what team, you know, take it. I think about a guy like Will Levis. Will Levis was coming out of Kentucky. Everybody was like, "Yeah, you know, but he's playing in a high level because yeah. he got in the NFL and he's got other guys around him, you know, that are leaders, you know, and grown men. And he don't have to lead as much. He could just be a football player. That's what you get in the NFL. You may get a guy with 10. He got four kids and he's been playing 10 years. You don't have to lead him. You know, and I'm not saying the culture. You have to have the culture in football, and you got to have it in the NFL. But I look at those players, you know, and you know, you, it goes back to football. Football is not a one man sport, and even if you're the quarterback, you can affect the game more than anyone. The ball is always in your hands, but if you don't have the supporting cast, if you don't have the protection, and you don't have the defense, you're not on the field if you don't have the defense. And that's the tough. That's the toughest thing is, you know. Finding that, better, that that right combination when you're dealing with 18- to 22-year-old kids and they're dealing with a media, you know, it's more than than the NFL. Let's just be honest. You know, when people lose in the NFL, yeah, it's some bad media in certain places. But you go to, you know, USC, it's going to be hard on you now if you don't win. And I know the expectations on a young man like Caleb Williams, but he played as hard as he possibly could. He made as many yeah. plays as he possibly could, but it's, a, it's still a team sport. You know, you still got to have special teams. You got to have the defense that will stop the run. You got to get the ball back. You, you know, you got so many things that that fall, have to fall into place. So with Drake May, that's kind of starting to show show up. And it's not just North Carolina team. Clemson was a lot better. And, and look yeah. at NC State. Doring has been the, on the hot seat for ten years. <laughs> look at Doring every every year. You know, and if you sit and talk to him, I know I've talked to him before. You might fall asleep. You know, so he ain't the young coach that sit around and go, you know, hippity hoppity and all that kind of stuff. But he develops football players. And, you know, sometimes it may look, I don't know. But NC State has been one of the more consistent programs over the last 10 years. Yeah, You look at Clemson and Dabble. I know I'm getting off on a tangent, but I didn't know this. But they, they've they been in the top 25 of the college football playoff since they started it back in 2014 and before that, you know, all but one year of his career. So. You know, all those things, man, I know I, I talked about a lot, but those thing, all those things fall into play, you know, as far as your head coach, your quarterback, you know, but it's still a team sport.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Speaking of which, we'll have our eyes on, on quarterbacks over the weekend. Not the uh, sexiest of names with Todd Roadmaker and and also Jack Plummer, but I had the feeling last week with Louisville and Kentucky that they'd get bit, and they did. But yeah. the ACC championship game – here now considered in week number fourteen, you know you got to imagine there's a handful of programs that now they're really cheering for for Louisville to pull this thing out. They're they're a short underdog, um, but where would you stand for argument's sake? Florida State wins this game. It doesn't matter if it's by one or by fourteen points. Yes, but no. with no Jordan Travis, you putting them in the college football playoff?
1: Yes. And I don't know if college football playoff wants them in because they, yeah. they don't you know, that Jordan Travis effect, I mean, I think it's important. But but you know, Florida State fans travel. So, yeah, I think that's yeah. something that's really important, you know, as far as that part of it, right? Um, but Louisville has a real chance, you know, they gotta give the ball to Jawar yeah. now. Give him the football because you haven't been giving them the football the last two weeks. They had an uninspired effort against Kentucky. Kentucky w- wants to win in that rivalry more than Louisville that's that's spot on i mean you can see it you can see it in the energy you can see it in the way they play and you know they had a couple fumbles but it was just no energy it, the people who win in football games want it more than the other side you know for the most part in a talent level louisville has more talent but they did not play as hard in that game and i think that's that championship football effect you know they got a championship game the following week, and people have said, well, they look forward to that game, but I think it was Louisville looking past Kentucky and Kentucky playing it like th- this is our state rivalry. This is our this is our Super Bowl right now, and it just was that kind of energy. So I think going to this game, you're going to see a better Louisville team. I think uh, Louisville has a really good shot at Florida State, you know, but Florida yeah. State stops to run, but nobody's really stopped that young man when they give him the ball 20 times. Nobody, yeah. So they need to give him to him twenty times, not nine, not not fifteen. Not, you know, this coming from an old running back guy, give him, this <laughs> him the rock. You know, feed him the rock and let the let the offense sit on the sideline. Let him get, you know, now he can get sixty in a minute, you know, or less than that. But you know, he can he can hit it right now, and I think that's the part they need when they go to him. They win football games, so that that's going to be an interesting game, and it's going to throw a wrench in some college football playoff uh selection committee uh committee's minds because I think if you go undefeated, Florida State go undefeated, they're in. Washington go yeah. undefeated, they're in. You know, Oregon has to beat Washington, right? That's going to be a really good game. Oregon lost by 3 points, right, to Washington earlier in the year. So, I believe I believe Oregon has a good chance in that game, you know? So, yeah. we'll see. You know, but uh Georgia Alabama, I mean, is it a is it a scenario when both of them get in? If you know, yeah. you look at how many games they won and won. Uh Georgia's won 28 games in a row. Nobody's denying that. But if you lose to Alabama, right, does Alabama get in, right? And then people's going to say, oh, well, Tex- Texas is a totally different team than they were when they beat Alabama. They don't have the running back, uh, Brooks. They don't look the same. They're limping into this uh, championship game against Oklahoma State. I don't know. You know, I think Oklahoma's got a man. good chance. The whole state of Oklahoma is gonna beat Texas. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. I'm calling it gas, yeah, man.
0: I, I don't know, Jay. I, I mean, after seeing what they do to Texas Tech, they absolutely manhandle them and boat race them out of the building. I, I think Texas's defense, if it's not the best defense in the nation, it's probably number two. But yeah, to your point, hypothetically speaking, if Alabama wins, where do you where do you place Georgia? Because I don't see Michigan losing to Iowa. If Iowa gets Iowa's team total I over know. this game this weekend, Jay is six and a half. The yeah. the, the spread in this game. Last time these two teams met in the the Big Ten championship game a couple years ago, Michigan won by thirty nine. I don't see Iowa putting up fifteen points in this game. I hate to say it, but I think Michigan goes undefeated. And I do. I I like Alabama right now. So it'd be fascinating to see if Alabama can beat Georgia. Oregon's a nine point favorite against Washington. So if those two games happen, the outcomes that obviously the bookmakers think are going to prevail, Florida state wins, man, it's a, it's a shuffling of the deck. And I don't know how it's going to pan out, but who would you keep out? Out Out of all those programs, who do you feel are the weakest?
1: Well, um, I think Oregon, you know, the Pac-12 got it right. They, you know, Oregon's playing Washington. They're both three and five. That'll work itself out, you know. And I, yeah. and I think, um, you know, it's only going to be one team in, right? The SEC yeah. one is a little bit different, you know, for some reason. I'm, I, You know, I'm not one for saying, hey, you know, both SEC schools should get in. But, but I don't know how, you know, I think Michigan is going to beat Iowa. I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. And it's going to be close. I don't think it's going to be like the first matchup, you know, because I think coming off the Ohio State game, that was a physical game, and I think those yep. guys are beat up. And Iowa is a physical team, so you yep. know, if when Iowa wins, it looks like you know a high soccer score, maybe. You know, that's how they play. It Looks like Chicago. To, it looks like Chicago and Minnesota they, the other night, right? Yeah, it's going to be bloody nose downhill, and Michigan is physical, right? They they cut their mm. teeth on physical. So does Iowa. That's why that game, if you look at the history of that game, who who upset Michigan a lot of times? Iowa. So it's one of those, it's, it's going to be a good matchup. It's going to be an interesting game there. You know, but if you look at the next four teams after that, I mean, uh, I don't know. You know, I think Alabama is the, it's the best one-loss team there is right now. I really believe that. You know, if you look for player for player, what they're doing, did they develop and get better and evolve as a team? Yes. You know, that's what you're looking for, I think. If you're on the college football playoff committee, maybe it's just me as a coach. I'm looking at the teams and go, man, they're they're not the same team they were week four. And Alabama's yeah. that team. Texas is not that team, you know. Um, Oregon's playing a lot better, but you know, they, they ain't they ain't gonna get in there, you know. So it's an interesting thing right there with that next group of yeah. uh it, it it begs for a top twelve playoff team, you know. The 100%. It begs I mean, this for it. Is,
0: it, and this is the the most mind-boggling thing because we've seen professional sports, we've seen Division One, Double A, but right. we can't get in Division One. It's it's I mean, we could go on about this forever, Jay, because I you know. have all these conference championships. You have some runner-ups. You have the non-power five, the Group of Five, that occasionally will get a team that can bite you. You look at Boise State in yesteryears that were were dynamic and. Yeah, I, they, they got to get this thing right, obviously, with an expansion in the, the college football playoff format. I mean, shoot, they do it in, in college basketball with the NCAA yeah. tournament.
1: But I'm going to ask a, you one question. Sure. I'm going I'm to ask you one question. If you do that, do you need a championship game? Yeah. I know that's – you know, oh, do you need you mean that? A, you mean a conference championship game? Yes.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think because what you do, it it goes right back to your point with Alabama not being the Alabama that lost loss to Texas early in the year. And yeah. there's certain teams, you have to give teams a reward if they go not only at a conference, but if they go on the road. Now, I'll say this, though, as a shot. SEC teams, at least the top-tier ones, typically don't go out of the SEC on the road to play against quality competition. Yes. I don't think you're going to see Alabama go to Oregon or go well, to Well, that's what we down. want, right?
1: That's right. what you want. Exactly that's why what we want. That's what Florida lost to Utah because they went to Utah, and they might have played up there at 5,500 feet, and they went and played a football game. I think that's what needs to happen in college football. Right. You know, I think you right. need to go it's to the exactly. end of the year and go, hey, here's your conference championship based on the teams that played and the records that you have." You know, I know that exactly. sounds crazy right there, and they're not going to do that because it don't, it don't make as much money. <laughs> we obviously know that, and I enjoy watching championship games, but I'm, but I'm sitting up there going, why don't you play – Go play good for you. Good. Don't knock out, and that's the hard part. Don't knock out these mid majors and these FCS teams that need, you know, financially to survive as football programs. You know, off some of these teams, but you may not play for. You know, you may play one of those games. You know, and try to try to divvy it yeah. up that way. But but if we're just talking about FBS, big time, you know, Power Five football, they need to play each other.
0: Yeah, no, of course. And if if you yeah. win your conference championship game, I feel like you treat it like college basketball. It's an automatic qualifier for the postseason. I think there's yes. no argument to be made. And so if you do the top two teams out of the SEC, let's just say it's Bama and Georgia, those teams duke it out. If Bama wins, they're automatically in the college football playoff. But Georgia should be there, there, there as well. But I think that happens with an expanded postseason, which obviously we'll get here. in in the near future so it's a it's a wild conversation i don't know why we're having it in 2023 jay when we could have had this 20 years ago you know 30 years ago but i get the pageantry of bowl games i get the idea but you know to let people decide a committee to decide who the best teams are in the nation and then match them up accordingly as opposed to actually playing this thing out in the field it's it's perplexing but you know, that's, that's where we're at right now in
1: 2023. You're right. I think it'll get that way. And I think this playoff is going to expand. It's going to expand beyond 12. I think in the future, that may take eight years, but you're, you're, you're asking a question that, you know, or you're making a statement that's so true, you know, that, that, that we got to get to that point. So, you know, each conference has their bids and go from there. So, you know, that's going to be the, the the big sixty four thousand dollar question going forward, right? What are we? What are they going to do going forward? And I think the twelve is the next one up, and and this is, I mean, it's evidence for sure that they got to have a 12, te- 12 team playoff. So it's going to happen, you know. And that that'll be more fun, more things to talk about for me and you guys.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Speaking of which, there's plenty of teams and fan bases in the nation. They'll be watching Championship Week and, in particular, hoping and praying for a Louisville upset over Florida State, one of the lone undefeated teams in the nation. Florida State loses. They will be out of the college football playoff. Someone else will creep in. We'll see who that is here in the next week. So for Jay Graham, I'm David Gascon. Thanks for watching. Believe Inside the ACC. We'll catch you again next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early,